Harvard Business Review, Mike Walsh, writes an interesting article. The key to building a successful remote organization is data. So we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and we're all adapting to work from home and dare I say it, the new normal and dare I even say it more, unprecedented times. There is unprecedented use of the new normal and unprecedented, but let's not get meta. Let's focus on the issue at hand. How do we build and manage a successful remote organization? You know, I look back on these times, 20 years ahead with my ability to time travel and see that this was the watershed in the digital transformation of business. Transformation. Trans, change, formation, shape. Digital transformation of business is the changing shape of business brought about by digital and expedited by COVID-19 and made possible by artificial intelligence and big data. So think about that. This is the perfect storm of events that are moving us from an old way of working to a new. And importantly, it's a way of working, not a place. Work is not a place. It's something we do. And much of what is what we assume to be the truth about work is no more than the functional fixedness, the byproduct of a system that worked in a certain way. What I mean is, for example, look at departments. We assume departments are the truth. Companies have departments because that's what companies do. However, companies have departments, not because that's what companies do. Companies have departments because in the age of efficiency, where competition is defined by efficiency gains and the yields that come from those gains, it makes sense to pool your resources. So a department is the most effective way, efficient way of pooling resources, people, knowledge, even the photocopier. General Electric has 1,200 lawyers in its legal department. At some point in time, somebody took a business decision that that made sense because it was more efficient for General Electric to pull 1,200 lawyers under one roof than it was to take it to the market. However, that's all changed because today the open market is much better at solving problems than the company department look no further than hailing a ride. If I want to get to downtown Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, I don't need to buy a car. I can hail a cab and the cab can get me there in 23 minutes. 23 minutes for $12. Yet if I was to buy a car, that would cost me here in Singapore around about $120,000. And that's not even a great car. And what does that mean? It means $120,000 after tax. And therefore, I have to spend seven to eight months of the year working simply 
to afford a car to drive to work. That doesn't make sense. Now, when we look at the Harvard Business Review article asking about the key to building a successful remote organization, it's asking what are the key vectors for success? Wade Foster, CEO of Zapier, says that in traditional organizations, leaders can manage by presence. You can see your folks and you can see work getting done. But now, when you can't see your team, when you're not sure what's happening, or you literally don't know if they are at work or not, you have to redesign how you manage your workforce from the ground up. And that forces you to be a better leader and a better manager. I would add that it forces you to be a better leader. Stop. Now, there's a few interviews in this article. Didier Elzinger, CEO of CultureAmp, a software firm that tracks employee engagement and performance, also said, well, actually, it's because they have the context that somebody else doesn't have. Data is a pathway to context. And he's talking about leadership. Now, why do leaders struggle in work from home? Why do leaders struggle in an era where so much of the presence offline was important and what we've learned? And now we're having to adapt to leadership online. And what does he mean by data is a pathway to context? When I look at the article, the key to building a successful remote organization, data. Now, what I think is, it's the start, it's the foundations, but it's not the walls and the roof. Data is important, but data isn't the reason why you create an successful remote organization. In the human communication playbook, I talk about data storytelling. Data storytelling is turning data into stories and stories into action. What tends to happen is we access data and we think somehow we have context, but there's a difference. And this is explained in the human communication playbook between content and context. Context is what you make for them and context is what you mean for them. Content is the ingredients of the soda inside the can and context is the can. And neuropsychologists have shown repeatedly that people don't drink the soda, they drink the can. What I mean by that is we don't consume data on the basis of the objective value of data. Nobody does. We consume data on the story that you package it within. So whilst data may be important to building a successful remote organization, and yes, data does democratize leadership because it gives people the ability to understand the state of affairs and also make decisions at a very decentralized level within the organization by giving people data dashboards and access to key performance metrics. What data doesn't give people is an understanding of what matters now. And that is the difference between leadership and managers. Managers can read data and optimize it. A manager can take 
100 and turn it into 110 and turn 110 into 121 and turn 121 into 133 each time 10% better and it's the same way that I can take a brick and put another brick on the top of it and another brick on the top of it and another brick on top of it and I can build the tallest ever tower but that tower will never take us to the moon and that's what leaders do they disrupt. And if you read the human communication playbook, there is a key distinction in how we communicate incrementally or exponentially. Incrementally is optimizing the existing shape of how things are now. 10% here, 5% there, 20% over there. That's optimizing data. To do that, you need data. To be a good manager, you need data. But why be a good manager when a machine is in time going to do that better than you? Management, let's leave that to the machines. Leadership, however, is something entirely different. I can't build a wall to the moon, but through a story, I can take you there. Literally and figuratively, John F. Kennedy stood before Congress in 1961 and said, we are going to put man on the moon and bring him home safely by the end of the decade. In a world of black and white TV, they achieved that phenomenal human feat with four megabytes of memory on the mainframe Apollo computer long before blockchain, long before big data, long before digital transformation. How? Story. So we don't need better stories. Sorry, we don't need better data. We need better stories. And that's the point. When it comes to building a successful remote organization, data can help democratize access to decisions at the micro level of the business. And it makes sense that everybody is partaking in influencing and consuming data. But that isn't the story of the organization. The story of the organization is success of the organization. And in the human communication playbook, I talk about culture storytelling. So there's a section on data storytelling and I recommend that you read that if you want to understand about how to turn data into stories and stories into action. But the more important story for those that lead organizations is the story of us. Who are we and what matters now? The most talented people won't come to your organization because you pay the best. The most talented people will come because of your story. You give them the opportunity to make a difference, to 10x, to 100x their skills. People want to belong. People want to be significant. And significance now doesn't come from the value of your car. I don't care that I'm riding in the back of a Toyota Prius or a Mazda 323 going to Marina Bay Sands. So no longer for me does a car become 
a measure of significance. I'm 48, so I should be, as my son says, of the boomer generation, and he uses it in the pejorative as a typical teenager who spends a lot of his time reading Reddit. I'm a boomer, Generation X. Cars were important for my generation, but I'm asking what-if questions. And certainly his generation will ask what-if questions about work. Do I need a car? Because if really what drives me are the needs to belong and the needs to be significant, this tool isn't the best solution to that problem that I have. That tool being owning a car. Because I don't care. I can get Grab or Uber or Gojek anywhere I please. And I don't care what people think of the car I'm driving in. It's not a measure of me. However, what is a measure of me now, and more importantly, is the work that I do. Is it important? Does it make a difference? Is it solving some of society's biggest problems? Maybe not so important to a 48-year-old who's brought up, weaned on the idea of careers and benefits and job perks and titles and business cards and having the high back chair in the office. But for a 14-year-old going into the workplace in five, ten years' time, no. What matters to him is, do I care? Does this make a difference? And therefore, when we ask the question, what is the key to building a successful remote organization? The answer isn't data. Data is a tool, not the key. Data is the raw material. It's the brick. It's not the house we're building. What matters is the stories. Think about it. Now, if you go to a hawker center here in Singapore, hawker centers being those wonderful Singaporean institutions where you can gather and eat anything you want in a very sort of Singaporean way. You can have Chinese, you can have Malay, you can have Indian, South Indian foods all over the world, different types and very cheap and very down at the hill, but in many ways quite liberating. And you can go to Hawker Center and you can go to Newton Hawker Center, which is another story entirely. Or you can go to Market Street, a busy Hawker Center, right in the middle, next to Cross, Cross Street. Where, I don't know, maybe there's about 40 or 50 stands in there. And you can go there and outside of the Hawker Center, there is a bike rack. And on that bike rack, there are delivery bikes. And you can walk down there. Now that here in Singapore we're delivering again and the hawker centers have opened in sort of a staged uh, return to normal. You can go to this hawker center. You can see a bike rack. And on the back of this bike, a mountain bike, you can see two panniers, two boxes, two cool boxes, both green. One has the grab logo. And grab here in Singapore is... Southeast Asia's or one of Southeast Asia's largest ride-sharing platforms. It's the Uber of Southeast Asia. Grab. And on the other side of the bike, hanging off the seat, is Uber... Sorry, not Uber Eats, which still exists here in Singapore. And 
even though Uber's not operating, Uber Eats is still going. And then there's this third box, which is Deliveroo. Uh, Deliveroo being global delivery, food delivery service platform based out of the UK, I think. And this is the point that here you have in that one bike, the problem that what's happening now is you've got the same delivery drivers getting food from the same stalls at Market Street and delivering to the same customers. And the only difference being the app. And even the apps are pretty much the same. They operate in the same way. The prices are the same. The system is the same. They use the same AI to work out which driver, delivery driver would be best for you and how to recommend foods. It's all the same. And it goes back to what I call in the human communication playbook, the end of quality, which if you go deeper into the world of economics is really the end of asymmetry. Asymmetry being the control of informational resources. And in a very base format, think of, for example, if your business was digging out of the ground and that stuff you could be digging out of the ground could be oil or it could be gold or it could be rare earth materials, then it, it makes sense that you protect that ground in which you're digging it. And, and in many cases, people go to war over that and it's very precious. But now less the case. People don't need to build fences around what they're digging out of the ground because everybody has access to it now. And the same with data. Data isn't the new oil that it was somehow made out to be. Because if it really was the new oil, we'd be fighting wars over it. And when we talk about TikTok as an example and how this is a war for data, it's not a war for data because the data is meaningless on its own. You know, NTT, the Japanese telecoms backbone of the internet, has more data than TikTok. The Indian railway system has more data than TikTok. And we're not fighting a war with them. The reason Trump is pissed off with TikTok is because TikTok was able to mobilize its supporters to troll Trump's event, Trump's stadium address. And obviously he's pissed off about it, so he's seeking revenge. And then there is this bigger narrative about China, which is another story. But the point being is this isn't a war for data. This is a war for attention because we are overwhelmed with data. We are drowning in data. Data is free. Data is everywhere. And everyone has access to the same data. Now, think about that delivery driver. It's the same. Same products, same distributors, same customers. Nothing is different. And it's like the journalist that asked Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, about his private life. And he said, fuck it. I'm doing everything with everybody. 
And that's how we are now. We live in a world of platform promiscuity. And if you look at the long-term shape of the organization, every organization will become a platform. Every organization will be doing everything with everybody. 95% of the value an organization creates will lie off traditional payroll. So what does that mean for data? It means that data isn't the key to success. Data is important, yes, but it's not a moat. The data you have, I also have. There is no quality anymore. There is no asymmetry in information anymore. If I want a lawyer, I can go to Asia Law Network. Or, as is the case mentioned in the Human Communication Playbook, like PwC found out, PricewaterhouseCoopers, that one algorithm saved them 300,000 hours of lawyers' time. The asymmetry which created the value of the legal profession, the data they had access to, is disappearing. Or at least the moat around that data is disappearing. They can no longer build a fence around what they're digging out of the ground. So data isn't the key to success, as it says in Harvest Harvard Business Review. Yes, it's important. But what is important? Because we live in a world now where every single barrier to entry they ever taught us at business school, all those vectors of asymmetry are disappearing. Distribution, brand, control of resources, access to markets, access to information. All of that is disappearing. And what is left? It's a level, symmetrical playing field. And the only thing worth competing for, the only thing left for successful remote organizations is people and stories. <laughs>